If you have your Bibles, Proverbs 14 is where we're going to be. Um, and we're going to look at a few verses here as we continue on this Proverbs path, as we kind of try to take the wisdom that Proverbs has for us and apply it to our real life. Now, I'm going to put a disclaimer up front here. This topic is definitely applicable to me, and I'm sure to some of you. For, for many of you, you might live with someone for whom this topic may be particularly applicable. Um, this is a, a real spot in my life that God has over time formed me and shaped me and is still at work in me. And so uh, this is something maybe you, I'll get a little passionate about. Um, but it's a very practical, simple matter. And probably the best way I could introduce you to this this morning is to show you a picture of a game that we had when we were children, that maybe you had when you were children. Does anybody recognize this game? Anybody recognize that? All right. Now, this game, if you've never played it before, if you're like one of those, you know, uh, 20-somethings that are like, what's that game? Okay, here's what that game was, right? You've got all these yellow pieces, and you put them down on the floor, and then you've got this board with this demonic, I mean, this timer thing that you you turn, and you make it full, and then you start. And as that timer clicks away, you're supposed to take all those pieces and put them in the right shape things. And then as the timer gets to the end, if you're not done, when it stops, it takes all the pieces that you work so hard on and putting in the right spot and throws them up in the air and makes a mess all over again, right? And we had this game when I was a kid. We got this game for our kids. I hate this game. <laughs> this game stresses me out because you're here, you're trying, you're working really hard. And even if you succeed, but you don't have enough time to turn the timer off. Even if you're successful, it still makes a mess. And by the way, even if you win, what do you do with the pieces? You dump them out again and you make another mess. It's a never-ending, pressure-filled situation to try to make order out of chaos, right? Under time, like under pressure of like the clicking timer in the back, you can't relax. It kind of takes away the enjoyment for me, I have to be honest. For many of us, life feels a lot like this game. Let me explain to you what I mean. For many of us, we feel like we are under the gun all the time trying to get everything into place in our life. And we are stressed out, struggling, trying to make sure everything's where it's supposed to be. And we somehow have some kind of a timer in our head or some kind of a sense that it's already been too long and everything's just about to blow up all over again and we've got to get everything in place and we've got to keep it in place. We gotta stop it from, from turning into a mess again, or else something, something bad, something awful, something horrible. If it's not everything in place, I won't be able to enjoy my life. I will just have to live stressed out all the time. I can never get to the place of peace in my soul. And so we live our life trying to put things back in place, and once we get them back into place, we live our life trying to keep everything in place. It's a very logical human thing for us to think that if we can just work hard enough and fast enough and get everything in place in time and keep it there, then we can have rest in our soul. Then we can finally start enjoying life. Anybody else live like that? The problem is, maybe you haven't figured it out yet, or maybe you have. Life is annoyingly messy. All the time. Sometimes it just messes everything up and ruins all your plans. 
All that you worked so hard to put and keep in place, all that you thought you finally had figured out, then life just gets all stirred up and chaotic again. The timer goes off and it's in a mess all over again. What I want you to know today is this. The fact that life is messy is just life. It's what life is. It's the fabric of life. It doesn't mean that you're a defective person because your life is messy. Some of us think that. It doesn't mean you're doomed because your life is messy. Or that you're worse than all these people that when you bump into them, they look like they have their life all together. You know those people, right? They make you feel bad about yourself, right? They have the things that you think you want. You've never walked in their shoes, but you just assume they've got their perfection game is all settled and done and framed and up on a wall and they're, they're good. And you're constantly stressed out. And so I want you to see that God does not call us and does not want us to live under the gun. Thinking and putting our hope in the idea that if we can finally get everything where it's supposed to be, then we can start living. God does not want us to live with that lie so that we are constantly worried and stressed and exhausted, believing that the payoff of trying to figure this all out somewhere, someday, we can find a life that we could actually enjoy, a life that isn't overwhelmed. And we get little glimpses of it. You know, you get little, like the game, you you find one time where you get them all in place and you turn it off and you're like, maybe I should just leave it like that. But then life blows up again. Most of life, when we live with this idea, when we live with this mindset, but once I get to the top of this mountain, once I get past the situation, once I get this all figured out, once this stops happening, then I don't have to live miserable anymore. We, we live like that. We live dark. We live hard. We live overwhelmed. We live frustrated. We live empty. And though this seems so simple and so obvious, it's almost common sense. When your life is in order, then you can rest. It breeds the kind of living that steals your very life, doesn't it? And so I'm asking you today, are you waiting for some tension to go away in your life so you can start letting go of stress? Are you working really hard to try to manage stuff and put things where it belongs so that you can finally Be happy. You can finally have peace. You can finally enjoy your life. Maybe it's you're waiting on the perfect job. Maybe it's you're waiting for the perfect spouse or the perfect kids. Good luck with that. (laughs) Maybe you're waiting for a feeling that comes because you feel like you have everything the right way. You, You feel like you're strong and you feel like you're capable and you feel like you've got a handle on life. Maybe it's your health. You're waiting for perfect health. Maybe you're trying really hard to clean up all the messes and keep any more from coming. And you don't realize how exhausted you are and how empty you are. Life does not have to be lived like this. Life should not be filled up with being driven by fear. Fear of the messes to come. Fear of the fallout of the messes that we have. It should not be lived in envy of the people we think have the kind of life we wish we had. This is not life. This is death. Life should not be overwhelmed with worry or anger or frustration. Stress, busyness, this is not life. This is not the life God has for you. And it's not the life you want for yourselves. But you're never going to get there until you understand and recognize the lie behind that thinking. And the same goes for me. So the verse that we start off today, the verse that I kind of want to land on is verse four. 
And as I read this verse, it spoke something to me that I have applied many, many times in child raising, in finances, in ministry, in, in all kinds of scenarios. And it's really, I don't know if it, it will hit you until we talk about it a little bit, but it really just hit me. It's a very practical piece of advice for me because by nature, I'm an organizer, right? I tend to think the path to peace and success and happiness is when we have a plan and we have a strategy and we follow the plan and everything works out according to plan. Good, no stress. But life is irritatingly unwilling to stick to my plan, no matter how hard I try. And so I find myself dealing with this in this frustration, always stretching to get things back in place. And then I read Proverbs 14, 4, and it says this, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. The idea here is you've got people who are farmers who are very used to dealing with livestock and animals. They know what it means that if you have livestock in your barn, that your barn is going to be messier than if you didn't have livestock in your barn, right? You're going to have to feed them. You're going to have to clean up after them. It's going to smell. It's going to be, you know, there's going to be stuff on the floor. There's going to be things everywhere. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be loud. Where there are no oxen, the manger's clean. You don't have to, you don't have to fill it up. You don't have to buy feed for them because you don't have oxen. And if you're stuck on the, man, why do I have to go buy feed? It would be better for me to, to not have to buy feed. Why do I have to put this money out? Solomon with this, with this simple wisdom says, yeah, but if you didn't have to buy feed, you wouldn't have oxen. And if you didn't have oxen, you wouldn't have the abundant harvest. What he's saying very simply is life includes mess. Good life includes mess. It's just part and parcel of the whole thing. It doesn't mean that if your life is messy, that it's broken. It means you and I should expect life to be messy. We should just expect it. When's the last time you expected life to be messy? Don't we fear that? Now, some of you don't. That's why I said this doesn't apply to some of you. Some of you, if I went to your home and looked at your room right now, I would know that you've embraced the mess, right? It's a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking. But most of you who live like that are connected to somebody who lives the other way, right? And you're like, what's wrong with you? So I'm talking to you today to help you understand the problem of our life here, right? Where there are no oxen, the manger's empty. So, you know, hey, that's a great thing. We could have a clean, organized barn that, that is everything's in the right place. Everything's where it's supposed to be. Nothing needs to be addressed, Only problem is that means you don't have any oxen and that has fallout that's bigger than cleaning up the mess. Life is messy and I should expect the mess. I should see it as normal life instead of a problem to fear or a barrier to peace in my soul. I shouldn't live in constant dread of a mess because what I wind up doing is putting hope in clean because I believe that fixing the mess is the answer. And that's not where my hope should be. Is it better for a farmer to have oxen or not have oxen? Of course it's better for him to have them because they can do so much more work and make his farming so much more production. But oxen means their stall will be dirty and will have to be cleaned. And I can just picture as someone recognizes this and they nod their head with how true it is. Somebody in the morning hours going through and doing their cleaning tasks and thinking, man, I hate cleaning up after. I wish we could get done with this. I wish this mess could just be finally and forever cleaned instead of constantly 
And then Solomon says, yeah, but recognize that if you did that, what you would lose, not just what you would gain. In order to get the benefit of the oxen, you have to expect the mess and see the greater benefit. The point is, nothing is wrong with the mess. It's a sign of the life you're living and even the blessings you enjoy. Farmers who had the the, the money and the resources to have oxen were people who were blessed, not people who were cursed. It was not a sign of some problem. It was a sign of God's blessing. Isn't that crazy? To solve the mess is to lose great strength. Here, I want you to understand this and I want you to see this. To solve the mess is often to lose the greatest productivity God will ever have in your life. Don't you learn more in the mess than you learn anywhere else? Aren't you more desperate for God in the mess than you are anywhere else? When life is clean and everything's put away and everything's where it should be, you're just humming and and skiddling along and everything's good and you're like, wow, this is great. But when life's a mess, you're on your knees, aren't you? When life's a mess and you have no answer for it and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you're about to drown, who do you call out to? To solve the mess is to move away from some of the greatest production that God will bring into your life, some of the greatest growth that you'll ever see. And so I try not to look at mess as something I have to resolve to find rest and peace. I try to remember this picture that without the oxen, there's no mess, but there's no oxen either. The application, very simple. Every good thing in life includes mess. Every good thing in life includes sacrifice, includes a call for perseverance, includes something that is unpleasant or undesirable. Do you find something at your job that you dislike? The answer is yes. Every job that's good in God's provision for your life, there's something to dislike. There's something unpleasant about it. Every job. So if you're waiting on the job that you're going to love, you know, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Baloney. There's going to be a day you work because every job has unpleasantness to it. You just got to see the bigger picture. If all I do is focus in on the, the unpleasantness of this moment, I lose the bigger picture that at the end of the week, I want that paycheck so I can pay my bills so I'm not out on the street and I'm not hungry, right? So I've got to see a bigger picture. I've got to have better understanding. Just like the farmer who's cleaning up after the oxen and going to town to buy feed for the ox, that farmer's got to keep the bigger picture in mind, the harvest that I haven't realized yet, but that I know will come if I do this cleanup of the mess. Again and again and again. Church would be awesome, wouldn't it, if it weren't for all the mess? You know what? You know what it would take to clean up all the mess in church? Lose all the people. Oh, we just lost the church. Right? So so one of the challenges of my life is not to see all of the struggles and problems and hardships and misunderstandings as something we've got to solve so we can be a good church. But instead, to see all that stuff as just the normal processes of us growing as a church. Being a family together. It is church. That's what it is. I'm not saying, you know, let's rejoice in the mess. And the mess is so wonderful. I'm just saying, yeah, it's unpleasant. But it's part of being real. It's part of the process of knowing each other and being people together in a family. Life could be perfect if everything gets sorted out. That's a lie. Life will never be perfect because nothing will ever get sorted out that way, but doesn't mean you have to miss out on life. 
See the things that are your unpleasantnesses, that are your messes, that are the things you wish weren't there, that are the stresses in your life as part of the calling God has put on your life. And we're going to look at how to deal with them in a second, but how not to deal with them is to get stuck in the thought process that when this gets cleaned up, I can finally relax and I can finally get back to living. In the meantime, I have no choice but to live stressed out. What kind of areas can we get stuck in thinking that the mess is the reason we're not okay? Finances? Do you really think, as you sit down and you look at your checkbook and you pay your bills, that if you could just have enough money, that you could feel comfortable, that then you could finally live at peace in your soul? Do you really believe that? Because if you do, then you know where your hope is? In money. It may well be that you don't have all the money that you think you need to live comfortably because you shouldn't be looking at your money to decide whether you can be okay or not. Ever think of that? How about teaching our kids, you know? So, and I think this is a really, really big thing. It, it applies to a lot, but I think it's a really big thing in raising kids, especially as your kids get older. We sometimes get so stressed out about my kids making mistakes and my kids making wrong choices, and I don't want them to, to, to go off in a bad direction. As a parent, I see all the potential for harm that comes down that path. But what I inadvertently do is I teach my kids that in order for them to have any hope in life, they have to be perfect, and I turn their life into a game of perfection. And so kids, kids walk out of the church by droves because they're like, well, I can't be perfect, so I might as well give up. Instead of saying to them, listen, you're going to blow it. You're going to mess up as you learn and grow. It's part of life. It's part of what happens. Don't lose hope. Don't lose confidence. Keep going and keep going towards the Lord and God will show you and you will learn because you can do this. Isn't that a better message? to send them because where there are no oxen, the stall is clean. So if I just, you know, if I just kept my kids at the, the, you know, the age 10, like for the rest of their life, yeah, there wouldn't be all these struggles in, in figuring out how they're going to live and how they're going to interact in faith and what are they going to do about dating and all There wouldn't be all these struggles of all that stuff, but they also wouldn't be growing. They also wouldn't be fulfilling the promise that God has for their life. They wouldn't be owning their faith for themselves. They would miss out on everything that I as a dad want for them. So I've got a choice. Everything clean and simple or everything that I really want with the mess. I think that's huge for us. Do we live like this in our family? Does your family understand and embrace the idea that as we are together, there are going to be misunderstandings and there are going to be fights? Or is your family one of those families where it's like, nope, there's never a problem, nothing to look at here, and just live with the tension all the time because it's so much better than just fighting it out, right? People in your family, people that you love, people that are even good people will be selfish at times. Sometimes they're even going to be weird. Is that all right with you? You're like, why did you do that? I don't know. I just wanted to do that. Well, that's weird. Yes, it is. There are messes in our family. Does that send you into a panic? Are you doing everything you can to make sure that never happens? Or is it like step into the mess? This is real life. Here we go. Lord, lead us through it. Taken to the end, it sets up that choice Solomon gives us. You want no mess? Get rid of the oxen. You want no mess? Isolate all by yourself. Oh, you still have a mess because you're a mess. Right? You just keep cutting messes out and cutting messes out because you can't handle them. You don't want them. 
Of course we want life to be simple and peaceful. We want minimal mess. Of course we do. But Solomon uses this very simple idea of a farmer and oxen to say we should let go of the thinking that the mess shouldn't come, that there's a problem with having a mess in my life. Because many times the mess is the most powerful pathway to growth and to faith, to stripping away the small picture thinking and hope, the, the small picture of hope in me and, and opening me up to real hope. And that's where I want to go next. So jump down with me to verse 26 and 27. Because, and this is not exactly connected, but it's in the same chapter and it really jumps off of it pretty well. So here's what it says, verse 26 and 27. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and their children, for their children, it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Without a doubt, a messy life is stressful, hard, unpleasant. So do I just have to resign myself that life is going to be frustration and, and worry and, and misery? Is, is that, that what it is? I mean, if cleaning up the messes isn't the answer, then where, where do I go for the answer? Where is the answer? Here's what it says. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and their children have a refuge. Both fortress and refuge are words that talk about when an assault comes, when an attack comes, I have a place to go to be safe. It doesn't stop the, the attack. It doesn't stop the assault. It just gives me a place to go when the assault's coming. You with me? What's that mean? Well, when you're stressed about uh, about the, the messes in your life and about everything that seems to be constantly turned into chaos and you can't figure it out and you're overwhelmed and you're stressed out, do you have a fortress? Do you have a refuge? You do if you, what does he say? Whoever fears the Lord. If your fear is in the Lord rather than your fear being in the mess, then you have a fortress. Now, this idea of fear, we use this word fear, and it, it kind of, especially in English, it kind of has this negative connotation to it. In the Bible, we've talked about this before. Fearing the Lord's not actually like trembling and quaking, like, oh no, I'm, I'm so afraid of God. It's more like awe. It's a faith that says, I believe that God is bigger than any of it. My fear, my respect, my sense of honor, my sense of greatness is God, not all this other stuff. And so in some way, when I fear something, what I'm saying is this is the unstoppable force in my life. Is God the unstoppable force or is something else? Fearing the Lord means that when the mess comes, my hope is not in cleaning up the mess. My hope is where? That God will carry me through it. That God will use it. That God will redeem it. That God will heal it. That God will lead me. That God will teach me. That God will be with me. Aren't you glad that God, the God of the universe who has no business being involved in any mess whatsoever, chooses to step into your mess and walk with you through your mess and use your mess for his eternal purpose to produce good? Isn't that crazy incredible? Those who fear the Lord, those who trust in Him, those who have a greater view of His power than the storms and the hardships and the messes of life. Basically, it's a call to trust God that He's bigger than anything we face, that our peace and our hope is not in clean, but our peace and our hope is in a God that heals and restores and teaches and redeems. So we can live with confidence. The storm can rage on, but I found my secure fortress. I have found my refuge and I can pass it on to my kids. Think about it. Don't we pass on our way of dealing with stress to our kids? They watch how we interact with it and they go, well, that must be what you do. So however you deal with it, they're going to pick up. 
So do you deal with it by passing on a secure fortress, a refuge that they can run to? Do our kids think they have to be doing everything right in order for life to work? Or do they have an understanding that trusting in God is the answer, even when they blow it? Do they know that how to, to, to react when they mess up? Have we taught them that they should be stuck in shame or stress? That they should beat themselves up? That they should make themselves feel really, really bad so that they never have a mess again? Or have we taught them to turn to the Lord and put their hope in Him again? It says, those who fear the Lord have a secure fortress and for their children will be a refuge. And then it goes on to say, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning a person from the snares of death. It has this picture of a trap that ensnares you and kills you. And that sounds so much like what we're talking about, doesn't it? This, this trap, this lure that makes sense that if I can just get everything in place and if I could just have a plan and know what's going to happen and see what's coming and make sure that everything's going to work out the way it should work out, then I'll be okay. It's a trap. And what do traps do? They kill you. They lead you to death. It's the snares of death. But the fear of the Lord, I can walk confidently through my life because I know that God has me and that God is bigger than anything that I face. And so no matter what mess I walk into tomorrow or what mess I'm living in today, I know my God is greater and my God is bigger and I don't have anything to worry about. That's our birthright as Christians. How many of us live like that? We say yes to it in our minds, but do we live it out day by day in our lives? Or do we live day by day like it all depends on us having it all figured out? Having everything where we think it should be and and knowing what's coming from every direction. It's the difference between life and death, isn't it? Fountain of life or the snares of death living by faith in a trustworthy God, following Him in confidence, or living in dread or shame of some of the mess that life brings, life or death. You can be refreshed, fountain of life, drinking freely and deeply and often from life, or you can be tangled up in the stuff that will suck the life out of you. One more chunk of verses, verses 29 and 30. I think this kind of goes right along with it. It says this, Whoever is patient has great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. We could spend a lot of time on this, couldn't we? If we don't live by faith, we usually live pretty frustrated. We usually live on edge. We usually live with a short fuse. When you believe that figuring everything out and having everything where you think it should be is the answer. What I know is this, a byproduct of that is for you to live on edge. You to live with a very short fuse. But understanding brings something different. Many times we act like understanding brings impatience. Well, I get it and you don't. What's wrong with you? I'm so frustrated with you, right? Because I understand and you don't. What the Bible says here is that understanding brings patience. So I may see a bigger picture than the other person, but if I really saw the big picture, it wouldn't bring irritation and impatience. It would bring patience. The word patience here is literally a relaxed face. That's what it means. Patience, a relaxed face. I guess that means I can't be like scowling or like, you know, I can't be like relaxed. Like it's okay. I'm good. Everything's fine. I am at peace. It's, and the Bible says it is understanding that brings that. 
This kind of understanding is the kind that sees God as reliable and faithful. God is bigger than the temporary obstacle or the problem that I'm having. And so it doesn't see uh, it all on my shoulders to try to force my way through something and to try to make sure everybody gets it and make sure everybody's on the right track all the time. Too many of us live like that's the hope. I don't have hope in my success. I don't have hope in my power. I have hope in God's plan, however that unfolds. And even when I choose wrongly, even when I blow it, my hope is not in me making up for it. Let's get to the very core of what it means to be a Christian. Is your hope in redeeming your mess by doing enough good to offset your wrong? Is it? You don't know. Okay. If you come to the Lord as a sinner, and all of us are sinners, every one of us, we have done wrong all through our lives. If you come to the Lord as a sinner and you say, God, I I want salvation. I want my sin to be forgiven. I want my sin to be gone. Does he say, good, here's your to-do list to make up for it. Is that what he does? Why? Because your good can't outweigh your bad. So the answer is not, well, let me put my hope in my ability to do enough right and get everything back in order. Where's your hope for sin? He's going to do it through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came and died. That's why he rose again. That's why his blood washes our sin away. Because I have no hope in me. It's beyond me. But it's in him. So if that's the case with my sin, isn't that the case with my mess too? If he took care of that mess, do you think this mess is too hard for him? Even if I blow it, what should I do? I should turn it to him. If I have that kind of understanding, it brings a relaxed face. It brings patience. But on the other hand, if I'm missing understanding, if I don't see the whole picture, it brings foolishness. It brings quick-tempered. One who is quick-tempered displays folly, foolishness. When you don't get it, you're quick to blow up. It shows how little you see, how little our trust is in the Lord. It means that it's not my life at peace. It's my heart at peace. Your life can be in turmoil, but your heart can be at peace because God never changes. If your life being a mess makes your heart a mess, then your understanding and your vision is on your life. But if your life being a mess allows your heart to still be at peace, then it's only because your vision and your understanding is on the Lord. Right? Wouldn't it be just like our enemy to try to tangle us up in all this useless emotional energy expended? All this time and thought process and and filling up our minds with schemes and plans and ideas and figuring it out. Wouldn't it be like our enemy to divert all of our resources towards hopelessness? instead of letting us rest by faith in the great hope that we have. To take glory away from God and at the same time steal the very life from our souls. Wouldn't that be just like our enemy? Don't fall prey to his trap. Understand that that kind of patience has a physical impact. It says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. A heart at peace. It isn't the outside coming in. It's the inside flowing out. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Living in that, I don't have enough and I should have what you have and my life needs what they have and I should be the the one who has that, that constant ache for more, for different, that unfulfilled desire. Envy rots the 
bones. Destruction becomes complete, doesn't it? From the inside out. And so the solution is not to find some substance that helps me relax. Some party to go to so I can have a good time. Some escape from the situation. Some new job or, or new scenario. The answer to the stress and the mess in my life is not some way to opt out. The answer is faith and understanding. A heart at peace. I don't medicate myself into peace any which way. I come to peace as I fear the Lord and as I trust in Him. I'm not down on medication. I'm just saying medication is not the answer. It may be a help, but I know a lot of people who don't need medication that still aren't at peace. You know what I mean? So great, if you need medication, have it. But here's the deal. That's not going to solve your soul problem, is it? So great, take the medicine, but then trust the Lord. Your hope is in the Lord, right? So let our hope be in the Lord. So today what I'm asking is this, what messes do you have in your life? And are you ready to let them be the Lord's? You're ready to trust God with them. Do you believe that God is able to work even through the messiness of life? Are we ready to expect the mess, walk into it with confidence, with our hope in the Lord, and not in everything being where we think it should be? I pray that we are.